Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month, taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees, we're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. If I asked you to compare the food from Chicago and New York, maybe you'd say that one has delicious deep dish pizza, while the other has this kind of thin crust situation. You can't eat deep dish with your hand. You know, Chicago's a real city, and uh, this is real pizza. It is goop in your lap. (laughs) New York. Forever. Or maybe you'd mention the two cities use different words for soft drinks. I say soda. I have to call it pop. Soda pop. But whatever you call your sweet fizzy drinks, whatever kind of pizza you like, these foods are fuel for something that Chicago and New York have in common. Obesity. 22% of New Yorkers are obese. In Chicago, it is more than a quarter of the city. Obesity puts people at risk of diabetes, heart disease, even certain kinds of cancer. This is awful for New Yorkers and Chicagoans, and it's also expensive. Cities have to spend a lot of money taking care of all these healthcare complications. So, a few years ago, the people who run both these cities decided this was a problem, but they had really different ideas about how to fix it. This is The Impact, a show on the Vox Media Podcast Network about how policy shapes people's lives. I'm your host, Sarah Cliff, and this season we are looking at local policy experiments. Today, we are going to tell you the tale of two cities, New York and Chicago, and their two anti-obesity policies. One city tried making healthy food more available. The other made junk food more expensive. We are going to try and figure out which fix works best. My producer, Bird Pinkerton, starts us off in New York. We almost there. We got one more lump black. Moises Reyes is leading me down a busy street in the Bronx. This is not his neighborhood. When he was 16, he moved from the Dominican Republic to Washington Heights on the other side of Manhattan. But as we walk, he talks like he's a tour guide. This is their avenue. So this is actually used to have an elevated train before. You know so much of the like history of like here's why this park came uh, down. Hey, this is the neighborhood I work, so I need to I need to know about it. Moises works with bodegas, also known as corner stores. Right in the corner here. He's brought me to one specific bodega with big stickers pasted up outside, advertising stuff like cold cuts and the New York lottery. There's music playing from a radio in the corner. And Moises knows everybody. So as you can see, like, this is one of the, the baskets that we gave. The baskets are more like deep shelves stacked on top of each other. They're full of red onions, plantains, apples, and limes. We gave them most of the aprons. When Moises says we, he means Shop Healthy. It's a program from the New York City Health Department. The Bronx rates dead last in good health outcomes of all the counties in New York State. 
See, the Bronx is not a healthy place. A new study finds it comes in last for quality of life, which includes poor physical and mental health, and in medical factors like smoking and obesity. With Shop Healthy, the city is tackling one small piece of this problem, food access. The way the health department sees it, bodegas are a go-to spot for snacks and groceries in the neighborhood. But many bodegas offer the kind of food you would find at a gas station grocery store. Cheese doodles and cookies and slushies. Foods that can lead to obesity. And that is where Moises comes in. He works one-on-one with bodega owners, gets them to provide more healthy options like fruits and veggies, and to really show those options off. When we first came here, like most of the stuff, like in purple boxes here. So that's really typical in bodegas that they, because produce come, come in cardboard boxes, they, it's easy to put it on the floor. Enter the Shop Healthy Basket Shelf. This is a good way to actually showcase the produce. The signage is everywhere. It's yeah. amazing. You ha- we have to do it. I mean, we're competing against like the big marketing um, agencies, right? If you've ever gone to a bodega, you've seen that they have ads from big soda companies pasted up all over the place. And those companies give them other things, like these big banners they can put up in the window with the name of the store in huge letters. Those banners are really good self-promotion, but they come with pictures of nice, refreshing sodas in the corner. More advertising. So that's what that's what we're fighting against. I mean, it's- In Shop Healthy stores, owners have to take down all the ads for unhealthy food. They swap in pictures of nut mixes and fruit blends and advice about low-calorie snacks in English and Spanish, all in bright oranges and greens and reds. The whole point of this is to make New York City healthier. But I kept thinking, it has to be hard as a bodega owner to turn down free banners and other soda company perks. The, the man of the hour. Widaline. Hi, how are you? Widaline is this bodega's owner. He is dressed simply, red polo shirt, jeans, and he looks like a guy with a business to run. But he takes a couple minutes to talk to us at the back of the store, and I ask him why he signed up. He nods to Moises. When I see him, you know, he told me about the program. I say, yes, I like it because... Widolin shifts to Spanish at this point, but he explains he likes helping his community and that he's seen an uptick in sales from displaying his fruits and vegetables, so it's also a good business decision. And again, Moises really won him over. Moises is a truly great guy. He came to my business without knowing me, and he offered me these products that I didn't have before. I accept offers from many people and judge by the results. I ask him if it's hard to resist soda companies when they come in and offer him free advertising or deals. It turns out he doesn't totally turn them down. They come and offer me discounts, and I pass them to my clients. Right now, Widolin doesn't have Pepsi ads in the store. But he is offering Pepsi products for cheap because they gave him a discount. Still, overall, there is a reason why Shop Healthy picked this store to show me. Widalene is one of the most committed bodega owners. Widalene, from the get-go, he was like really, really into the program, which is, was kind of like, uh, that was the first time that happens to me, having a store owner so involved. Normally, Moises 
has to do a lot more convincing. Like, I was actually kind of shocked at how much work the Shop Healthy staff have to do. First, they get a list. A list of all of the bodegas in a zip code. If in the zip code we have 150 bodegas, we visit those 150 bodegas and push up the, the program. Um, that's, a lot of that's a lot of bodegas. Some bodegas require more than one visit. I could go Monday, right? You say, oh, come back later. The owner's not here. That's the first thing that you heard. Moises will go a second time. Like, hey, all the store owners are still not here. And I come back a third time. 150 bodegas with up to three visits each. That is potentially 450 trips before Moises and his colleagues even get to pitch. How you want to pitch in Spanish or English? (laughs) The first thing, oh, hey, hello, my name is Moises Reyes. I'm I'm part of a program called Shop Healthy. Moises is a charming, persuasive guy. But stores don't have to sign up. It is their choice. One report found that most bodegas the city approached actually didn't go through with the training. And when store owners aren't interested, Moises just has to move on. But if a bodega owner does sign up, then Moises' job really begins. He walks up and down the aisles with a clipboard and a list of criteria, checking stuff off. Like, does the bodega have low-sodium canned goods? Or do they stock healthy deli options, like turkey sandwiches? He suggests changes to the owner. And then he comes back five more times. Every single visit, I try to push or criteria, right? And then see, like, if you kept it on the next following visit. Moises can give bodega owners small rewards, like these free tote bags that customers love. But... I cannot, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this for you, and then... Because it's not going to be no results. I want you, the long term, for the store to be self-sustainable and sustain those criteria by themselves. That's the whole idea of Shop Healthy Program. And sometimes you do get store owners like Widaline who really knock it out of the park. Not everybody's going to be a Widaline. Sometimes store owners don't make all the changes. Or a few months later, they slip back into old habits, letting soda companies put up ads. If that happens, then it happens. I don't have regulatory power to, oh, yeah, you have to do this change. It has to come from the store owner. But, you know, like, we don't live in a perfect world. But at least I'm happy that I offer my 100% in every visit. I don't doubt that Moises is giving 100%. But when you start doing the math, it's like, of the 100 or so bodegas in a zip code, a fraction are signing up. And then a fraction of that fraction actually make all the healthy changes. New York City spends almost a million dollars on Shop Healthy every year. They hire nine people like Moises for each project and spend money on marketing and community engagement and data collection. So a fair question to ask is, how effective is all of this? The results have been negative to mixed, let's say. This is Brian Elbel. He is a researcher at NYU, and he studies all the ways that our environment affects what we eat. When he says results are mixed, he's not talking about New York specifically. Healthy corner stores are actually really popular. There are projects in Baltimore and Philadelphia and Minneapolis, L.A., D.C. The list goes on and on. And people are studying the programs. 
the quality of research isn't great, but Brian does see some trends. Some of these initiatives have failed at the staging of we can't get the stores to make sustained changes. Anecdotally, that is what Alyssa Ruiz saw. She worked on an earlier version of New York's Bodega Project, and just like Moises, she worked really hard. I would roll up my sleeves and I would do what I needed to do. And at, and at the time, I was super pregnant when I was working. But that never stopped me from going to my stores and, you know, moving things around for the owners. She pushed and pushed. Because I really wanted them to be successful because I really did believe every community should have healthy food. But sometimes, you know, they would make some changes and then midway through the cycle... They stopped bringing in the bread, for example, or they stopped bringing in the low-sodium canned goods. While Alyssa was still doing regular visits, she could nudge the owners into bringing healthy options back. But under the program, she was only supposed to do a couple of visits. And after that, the owners were on their own. Once we finished working with the stores, and then we would check up on them six months to a year down the road, a lot of the things were not there anymore, right? Like a lot of the signs fell off or were gone. And we had like a list of healthy snacks. So I think the healthier snacks were gone. There wasn't a sustainable part to it. So why do stores stop carrying healthy options? It might have to do with what people are buying. Udalene says his produce sales went up with Shop Healthy. But in some studies from other places, store owners complained that people weren't buying their fresh produce. So it was just rotting and costing them a lot of money. And in other places, there was only a small uptick in healthy food sales. So it's not enough to just change what stores sell. Customers also have to change what they buy. And maybe no scale of changes we can make in a corner store is going to move people off the script of going in and ordering their sugary beverages and their, you know, chips. If you've ever tried to eat more healthily, you know that just having access to apples does not mean you're going to stop eating cheese doodles. Brian says food choices are shaped by all kinds of things. Income, family life. It could also even be more complicated than that and say that the stress of living in a certain neighborhood and the social support in a neighborhood uh, influence one's subsequent food choice as well. So yeah, having access to affordable, healthy food is an important step, but it might not be enough. Is it worth it to invest all of this? I asked Javier Lopez this. He is one of the people in the New York City Health Department who runs this program. You know, it's, 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 I, I grapple with that question. He was pretty frank with me. Sometimes I walk out of there like, man, you know, we're not really going after the root of these issues. He still thinks it's worth it. But if one of the roots of an issue like obesity is getting people to eat healthier foods, I keep coming back to this thing Moises said. I don't have regulatory uh, power to, oh, yeah, you have to do this change. It has to come from the store owner. Moises is right. All of these bodega interventions are optional. But what if you could say you have to do this? What if you could make all corner stores or make every store change all at the same time? 
after the break, Sarah picks up with a story of a city that did exactly that. A soda story that really pops. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. An influential poll from The New York Times and Siena College last month showed that 23 percent of registered black voters said if the election was held today, they'd vote for Donald Trump. Now, this is a big deal. Black voters historically vote Democrat overwhelmingly. On Sunday, I sat down at South by Southwest with Charlemagne the God. Charlemagne commands one of the largest young black audiences in the country as co-host of The Breakfast Club. And he's become known for his blunt and provocative interviews of politicians and his critiques of Joe Biden and the Democrats. I'm the type of person, I, I feel like as, as a black person, I don't see how we're beholden to either one of these parties. I don't understand these black conservative crazies, and I don't understand these black liberal crazies either. I think as a black person, you shouldn't be beholden to any political party in this country because we haven't really seen, um, I mean, I, Democrats have done more, but we haven't really seen anybody systemically help us get out of the situation that we're in. Because I think that's something that people never truly address. Charlemagne the God on Today Explained. Every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Impact. Before the break, we looked at an obesity intervention that is pretty grassroots. Field coordinators going out to bodegas to try and convince them to offer more healthy foods. But now we are going to look at a policy that does not ask for permission from store owners. A policy that makes it harder to sell junk food. A soda tax. In a minute, we are going to visit a city that has experimented with a soda tax. But first, we wanted to find out something really important, whether it actually works. The early evidence is really promising. That's Brian, the public health guy. He says that the best soda tax research comes from two pretty different places, Berkeley, California, and Mexico. Mexico started taxing soda in 2014. Berkeley followed in 2015. And in both places, studies find that people are drinking less pop. The change is even bigger when you focus on low-income populations, which have higher obesity rates. A lot of countries are now convinced. Oh, a spoonful of sugar the tax applies to drinks containing more than five grams of The UK and South Africa both started taxing sugary drinks in early 2018. It means you'll see the price of some drinks on the shelf go up by around 20 pence. But if things are continuing to look like they're going to look, it'll, it'll be a, something that will have an overall positive influence on eating behaviors and people will move to more healthful stuff. Uh, we have some water, we got some tea, Soda. We paid a visit to the American Beverage Association headquarters in downtown Washington. They lobby for the soda industry, and we wanted to know what they thought about soda taxes. As you might imagine, we were offered an ample selection of beverages. Let's take some water. Thank you. Okay. Uh, or... I'll let you choose whatever's the most popular. <laughs> I don't have a strong preference on water. You don't? No. 
Once the whole water situation got sorted, we got the industry view from the person who runs their lobby shop, Susan McNeely. She disputes the public health research I've been talking about and argues that the declines in soda drinking are really small. It's not reducing calories in a wholesale way. When we talk to public health researchers about this, they don't totally disagree. In some studies, the changes are tiny. But they are bullish that small, tiny behavior changes add up over time, especially for young kids. They think soda taxes are a good way to fight obesity. The evidence for something like that has been more encouraging than a lot of the interventions we have out there in the, in the food policy space. So, wow, fantastic news. Except... Beverage taxes are wildly unpopular, as was proven in places like Cook County. Cook County. That is where Chicago is. And this brings us to our second city and our second story. The story of Chicago's deeply detested soda tax. I think your last name might sound familiar to some of our listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about the relationships you have to some other Chicago politicians? Well, my dad served 21 years as mayor. My brother Rich served 22. John Daly is a county commissioner in Cook County. He's been in politics for decades, and his family has been in politics even longer. I asked him to take me back just a few years to 2016, when the beverage tax saga was just starting. It was being discussed as part of the revenue for the upcoming year. The Cook County budget had this massive hole, and the commissioners needed to fill that hole with money. So they were throwing around ideas. An increase in sales tax. A property tax was one. And another was a sugary beverage tax. The one that seemed to have the most votes was the uh, beverage tax. Initially. Yes. So in October of 2016, the Cook County board president is presenting the 2017 budget. She talks about the budget hole, and then she outlines her plan to fix it. In order to do this, I'm asking you to make the difficult but necessary choice to support a moderate tax on sweetened beverages. The next month, the commissioners hold a public hearing, and everyone has an opinion. It is like four hours long. You have all the commissioners seated in a semicircle, this podium off to the side, where researchers and citizens come up and say their piece. It will cost so much more than a penny per ounce to the employees who lose their jobs. Now, Dr. Pepper's been telling you that there's going to be business loss. Dr. Orgain is telling you that her patients will benefit. 37,000 fewer cases of obesity in Cook County by 2025. Who are you going to stand with today, Dr. Orgain or Dr. Pepper? Then the commissioners have their say. I've been told that this ordinance will kill the free refill I think that that's probably one of the best public health things we could do. Some support it. Others oppose it. Signs are prominently displayed all over the place. No Cook County taxes. John Daly chimes in. I will be supporting this beverage tax. And so? Commissioner Butler is aye. Commissioner Fritchie. Commissioner Fritchie is no. The 16 commissioners vote. Chairman Daly is aye. Mr. Chairman, you have eight yeas, eight nays, and one absent. It was an 8-8 vote, which is unusual, and then the president broke the tie. I vote aye. The motion carries. So it was the first time I think the president has ever broken a tie since I've been on the county board. And that's a number of decades. Yes. Just barely, the motion passed. 
the soda tax had won. There's another twist tonight about Cook County's very unpopular sweetened beverage tax. I've seen taxes passed before and I've supported taxes, but I've never seen such strong opposition from my entire district. The way the soda tax was written, it passed in 2016, but it wouldn't actually start until 2017. And the soda industry, it wanted to keep the tax from starting at all. So it waged all-out war. Like, they printed up these tiny signs that store owners could hang from soda bottles. David Goldenberg, who was working with the soda industry, told us about them. You know, if you can imagine a a sign hanging on the neck of a two-liter bottle that reads, Starting July 1, Cook County will make you pay 67 cents more for every two-liter. Cook County businesses and residents already pay their fair share of taxes. Can the tax before it's too late? The soda industry organized rallies, and Chicagoans turned out for them. But there were also big spenders on the pro-soda tax side. When kids drink soda pop, they're getting a lot more than they bargained for. You know Michael Bloomberg, billionaire, former New York mayor? His nonprofit saw that the Chicago soda tax was in peril. So it swooped in and bought millions of dollars worth of ads to promote the soda tax. Like this one, with kids walking up to a vending machine. Except all the options are things like kidney failure and tooth decay. The soda tax can make a difference, reducing the epidemic of childhood obesity and diabetes. This is about higher taxes on working families and small business. Of course, the beverage lobby made their own ads. The Cook County beverage tax is a raw deal for consumers. It's a raw deal for businesses. Three million dollars worth of ads with some pretty menacing music. I will definitely be going out of the county to purchase my beverages and my groceries. I would go into a store and the owner would stop and say, hey, John, could I talk to you? This is where my sales were prior to the tax. Now here it is a month after the implementation of the tax. The soda tax did go into effect, but things did not get better. Commissioner Daly was being confronted by business owners. He was getting so many phone calls. Oh, my God. Um, at that time, it would be 55 to 60 percent of the day calling people, meeting with them, meeting with community groups, meeting with business groups. It was all unsustainable. Just two months after the soda tax went into effect, the council was holding hearings on it. Again. And this time, they were talking about repealing it. I believe today uh, will be a very sweet day for the people of Cook County. The people who originally voted against the tax were obviously still against it. But the people who were once for the tax, people like Commissioner Daly... Uh, Today I will be voting to repeal uh, this tax. Daly was not the only commissioner who flipped. A strong message has been sent to this board by the residents of Cook County and the people of the 7th District. The first time around, nine council members supported the soda tax. This time, just two did. The tax was repealed with 15 votes against it. It's hard to rethink your position. It really is. And I, I commend and respect those commissioners who had to change their opinion. I'm glad this damn thing is over. <laughs> this is a bit of a funny question. Are you a soda drinker yourself? Not, no, I was prior to it, and but then I, quite honestly, the health advocates you showed at the 
public hearings, the volume of uh, of sugar that you would consume if you drank, I think it was two cans per day for the whole week. That was astonishing. John Daly didn't change his vote because he thought public health science was wrong about soda. It was all about politics. The tax was incredibly unpopular with the people he represented. Their whole thing is, that's my choice. I decide if I want to drink a pop, I will It's every now and then, but I shouldn't be taxed on it. The Cook County soda tax became so toxic that nobody wants to talk about it anymore. This was by far the hardest episode of our season to report because people kept turning down my interview requests. I asked six different county commissioners to talk to me for this story. Five of them said no. John Daly was the only one who said yes. When we were looking over some campaign finance records, we did notice that Commissioner Daly received $750 in campaign donations from both Pepsi and Coca-Cola in 2018. He received another $10,000 from the beverage industry. So we asked him about it. They had no influence whatsoever. None whatsoever. And then the last question I had for you is if elected officials in another city are, you know, right now looking at creating a beverage tax, what kind of advice would you give them? I would say, listen, if you are going to need to pass it, listen, number one, do a clear message or put it to a referendum. Let the voters decide. I asked Brian Elbel, the public health guy, a similar final question. So if you had like a city council member call you up from any town USA and say, I'm thinking about a soda tax, I'm thinking about a healthy corner store initiative, I only have time to really invest in one. What are you going to recommend to this hypothetical municipal employee? So I'd first try to convince them that they have to do both of those things and five others, right? <laughs> and I think... Spoken like a true public health researcher. If you're really going to force the question, Sarah, I'm going to say which of these things you really choose, I would say I think there's there's much greater evidence for something like uh, a soda tax being more infl- likely to be influential than than a healthy corner store initiative. Right now, there isn't great evidence that healthy corner store initiatives have a big impact on obesity. There's better evidence that soda taxes could make a big difference. But healthy corner store initiatives are very palatable. They are a brand new benefit for constituents. Soda taxes are way harder to swallow. They draw a lot of political controversy. They are not for the faint of heart. Beverage industry is right up there with big pharma, big tobacco. I mean, they they just pulled out all the stops. They spent tens of millions of dollars on ads, on misleading newspaper stories. This is Jim Keeney, the mayor of Philadelphia. He clearly has some very strong feelings about the soda tax and the soda industry. And before we end our food policy road trip, I want to take a brief detour to his city. Philadelphia is the largest American city with a soda tax. So I asked Jim, how did they do better than Chicago? We had to tie it to specific programs in order for them to understand that this tax goes to here and this will improve this particular area of people's lives. Philadelphia uses its soda tax to fund pre-K education, which is super popular. In Chicago, they were just using the money to fill a budget hole. Mayor Keeney still hears from lots of Philadelphians who hate the soda tax. Uh, people will occasionally heckle me in the street and say, yeah, soda tax sucks. But he reacts way differently than Commissioner Daly did. And I say drink water. It's not taxing. It's better for you. 
With a thick skin and a clear plan, cities can make soda taxes work. But without those things, soda taxes might just fizzle out. This episode was produced and co-reported by Bird Pinkerton. Our editor is Amy Drozdowska. Our senior producer is Jillian Weinberger. And this episode was mixed and scored by Jared Paul. Our theme song is from Jukebox the Ghost. And other music in this episode is from Pottington Bear and Blue Dot Sessions. We had translation help from Javier Zaracina and Carolina Rodriguez, who also helped us out with a few other things. Many thanks to Allison Rocky, Alex Ward, and Danielle D'Souza. We spoke to so many great people that helped inform this episode. Sabrina Berenberg, Roger Cooley, Sandy Sherman, Gary Foster, Rebecca Katz, Nina Prasad, Shuin Ung, and Melissa Kinsilla. We would love to hear from you, our listeners, as we are halfway through our season. Tell us what you are liking, what you aren't liking, whether you call it soda or pop. You can always reach us at impact at vox.com. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.